Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode, so let's jump right in and get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in Stephen Shaletsky, who is a thought leader, a speaker, and an executive coach. Every day, Stephen wakes up to engage with people in meaningful ways so that we connect with depth and live in a more fulfilled world. He supports humble leaders, those who know they are both a part of the problems they experience and are a part of the solutions they can create, who intend to put their people and purpose first. And we spent a lot of time in this podcast talking about his unique journey, a lot of the serendipity that was involved that got him to you know, work with Simon Sinek and obviously continue that path um, even till today, and as well as some of the things that he's learned along the way and why he's so passionate about what he calls speak of culture and why leaders need to truly listen if they want their people to step up. We spent a lot of time on that and how organizations can improve. And that transitions into a book he's writing um, with a similar title that's supposed to launch in the fall of 2023. So we weave a lot of the getting started moments that Stevens had over the years and some things that can really help other people start as well um, as they go along in their careers and their organizations. So I really enjoyed this wide-ranging conversation. I hope you all do as well. So without further ado, please welcome in Stephen Shadletsky. Shad, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you today. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. Yeah, this is exciting. I'm I'm really interested after doing some research, kind of talk through your journey and some of the ebbs and flows over the last, well, your your whole adult life, but really, you know, last 10, 12 years seems like there's been a lot of change um, and advancement. And I, and I thought maybe if it's okay, let's start there. It seemed like and there was a critical turning point. And, and it seems like a lot of the interviews I have, there's some point where it's like, I'm doing something and then I make a massive, you know, left turn. Mm -hmm. Could you share a little bit about that critical turning point? If I, if I recall, I think it was around 09, 2010, something like that, where you're just like, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) And you kind of veered off. Can you, can you start there and and let's go down that path? For sure. And I, I mean, I think anyone who makes a courageous decision, I think courage is always in the rear view mirror, Right. It's like courage is, I always think that courage is when others say, oh, wow, that must have taken a lot of courage. And you're like, oh, I, I guess it did. I, you know, it's not like we turn on the courage button. Right. Um, you know, I think in, in the vein of getting started, we find something that's more important than fear. Like, I, I, I hate the phrase fearless leader. Never met one. You know, I think those, you know, uh, leaders feel the fear, connect to something more important than their fear and follow that. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, for, for me, I, by accident, got into business school. I, I took a, a class with a professor, a lecturer who I loved, and he encouraged me to check out biz school, which I did and enjoyed it. Um, I still think to this day I'm allergic to a, to a balance sheet personally. Um, but I, I always gravitated towards people, strategy, purpose, leadership, teams, culture. That's the stuff that really gets, gets me going. Um, and you know, we, we know that famous quote from Peter Drucker that, uh, culture eats strategy for, for, for breakfast. I mean, culture matters. Um, it's, it's a make or break. Um, 
And so I started my career also kind of sort of by accident. Um, I joined into a large leadership development program at a big company. Um, and like leadership was in the title. Like, yes, I love my leadership classes. Like, that's what I'm passionate about. Um, I neglected to ask them how they define the term. So part of the issue with leadership is there's no standard definition. Um, you know, I think you and I would probably define leadership more as in you see potential in others and strive to help them grow. Um, and by helping the people grow, the results and numbers always grow um, in suit as well. Uh, but I, I neglected to ask them, how do you define leadership? And they were operating on a bit of a different definition. It was more around PL, it was more around authority, um, and it was more command control. And so through a lot of pain, and I think a lot of inspiration and purpose is sometimes the, the origin um, is pain and, and tragedy. And that's certainly been my my experience, you know, sort of a couple pivotal things. One, I grew up with a stutter. I now love helping others find and nurture the voice of others because I felt I had no voice when I was a kid. Nice. Um, uh, and then the other is I felt, you know, uninspired, unmotivated, disengaged, unfulfilled in my career path. Um, and I wanted to feel the very opposite. And somehow, probably because I'm human, knew that the best way to help myself feel that way was to help others feel that way. Mm -hmm. And so I was introduced, a mentor of mine sent me Simon Sinek's uh, Golden Circle TEDx talk from yeah. uh, you know, late 2000, 2008 or so. Um, and I fell for Simon's work. Uh, I went to hear Malcolm Gladwell speak at, a, at an event and Simon spoke just before him, uh, unbeknownst to me, I was already drawing golden circles on napkins to anyone who would listen. Um, and sort of started this amazing 10 year journey that I've been on um, with Simon, um, you know, fourth person to join his team through just networking and building relationships with his small team. Uh, and one thing kind of led, led to, the, to the other. I was the, I was the karate kid painting a, a fence on the team for, for a couple of years and um, built some trust with them. And it's been quite a fun ride uh, with them over the past 10 years. And then sort of a, a newer pivot, which we can get into is is now um, venturing to write my own book on speak up culture, which I'm very passionate about as well. So that's that sort of first sort of 10 years ago, I was going down a path, I was totally unfulfilled by the ladder that I was climbing. Yeah. So like, why should I keep climbing it? Well, and, uh, so I'm curious, though, because a lot of folks do keep climbing it and they keep, mm -hmm. you know, when you talk to them 10 years later and they're like, well, I'm near retirement or I have, you know, or, uh, you know, whatever insert excuse and, and maybe no fault to their own. That's just maybe how they were brought up or how they thought the, the you know, world worked. What made you almost get, you talk about courage, but have that courage, have that confidence to say, I got to do something different. I can't live like this. So I'm a, so a couple of things, um, in, in one respect, I didn't have a choice cause I was fired. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> however, I was already, I, I, my, I had nine toes out, out the door already. Okay. So, so this was back in 2009, 2010. It was my first job out of college. It was a good, desirable job. I was totally unfulfilled. I was having that sort of quarter life crisis of, it was the first time in my life I wasn't motivated. The first person I made wrong was me. Like, what's wrong with me? As opposed to, why is this environment and situation not for me? Um, but I, I kind of felt like I was, you know, like we all had a favorite subject when we were in elementary school. Um, 
you know, for a lot of us, it was gym. Um, and it's like, I, I had tasted gym class and I'm like, I want more gym class. Mm. I, I personally, I felt connected to and found the thing I really wanted to be doing. It was coaching and facilitating and speaking um, around purpose and fulfillment and culture, like I, and, and engagement. I knew it was that. And so I just started finding any opportunity that I could to do it, even if I wasn't getting paid for it, volunteering to speak at the local Toastmasters group, getting involved with initiatives at my then company, just to do more of the stuff that I knew that I loved, even if it wasn't on my J-O-B uh, roles and responsibilities. So I'm a really big fan of, of hybrid like just start doing as many things as you can, even if you're not getting paid for it, that seemingly represent your passion. Um, you know, like for anyone who's like, I want to be a veterinarian, you know, and they're 19 years old. It's like, well, have you shadowed at least two or three vets and ensured that the chosen profession is something you really want to be doing? Um, cause you should taste it first. Um, but yeah, then, I mean, then, uh, uh, the decision was made for me on my one year an anniversary at my first company. I was, uh, I was let go and I was let go, Brian, because I was mentoring a number of interns who had all turned down full-time job opportunities, citing conversations with me. Uh, so I was, as I would describe toxic within a toxic culture, <laughs> um, uh, and any negative multiplied by negative is a positive. So it all worked out. Um, and then I, I started doing, I started building my own, coaching and speaking and facilitating practice with no experience. I mean, I had no coaching training. I was all of what, 23 or four, but I knew what I wanted to do. And I started getting opportunities bit by bit. Um, then I did a quick stint at Ernst & Young doing consulting in their change management group because I figured, yeah, I should get a little bit more experience. And I'm glad I did. Um, and then I, I worked at EY for not even a year. And I, I tried to implement some of the same changes that I wanted to create to create a more engaged at that time. It was really around Gen Z and millennials. I mean, I saw this huge population of my friends, particularly in accounting, who were all miserable, yeah. like they hated their jobs. Um, uh, and worse, they couldn't wait to leave. Now, there are a few that will make it to the next level and then the next level and, you know, become the all illustrious partner, but it's few, few and far in, in between. But I was thinking of how many people leave that organization and hated their experience. And when it comes to hiring an audit firm or like anyone but them, yeah. you know? And so I started pitching to them internally, hey, why don't we create some sort of program to even like, we know that the, the math most people are going to leave before they get to the next level and the next level. But why don't we make their experience great such that when they do leave, they're still loyal to the brand. Yeah. And the, there was humming and humming. And they went, yeah, maybe we'll do that in a couple of years. And I went, sayonara. Um, no, thanks. Uh, and that's when I invested in a lot of my own leadership and coaching training. Um, and I just decided to do it and got lucky, right time, right place with an opportunity with, with Simon's team as well. So it wasn't just one day, right? It like, yeah, it was, it was long. Yeah. And that's what it seems like. And, and that's where a lot, again, a lot of folks stories is like, it's not like, Oh, I got fired next day, big opportunity. And off the rate, like, you know, there's all of these kind of ebbs and flows and kind of the, the, you get into the trenches and you, and you kind of, and, and I think, as you mentioned, like, Hey, it was good to kind of learn, 
all right, let's go to this other organization. Let's kind of learn this different path. And, but it seemed like, tell me if I'm wrong here, just from mm-hmm. the way you shared your story, it seemed like the same thing happened though with the first company, meaning <laughs> they didn't define leadership as you defined it because the way that when they, and tell me if I'm wrong, because when it's like, Hey, we have all these employees that are probably going to leave and eh, who cares? We have a balance sheet. We have numbers. We have this progression. It, it's not, it's like, they didn't care about, okay, how can we mentor these folks? How can we grow them? How can we groom them to maybe transition into other roles or become more valuable? You know, we're, it seems like maybe we're, where you want to go to help folks do that, right? Yeah, and I mean, this is by no means a bash on those organizations. I've gone on to actually do a ton of work with EY um, on purpose and culture through my role at Simon. So, um, you know, I'm never a judge of organizations. I'm a judge of leaders because leaders can transform, leaders can change, and so can can organizations. I think what you point to, though, is there is a, a clash between my values and the values that were lived at those organizations as well. And it doesn't make them evil or bad places. It's just not for me. Right, and there yeah. are plenty of people who can, I hope, thrive there. Um, but yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, e- even if people will leave a company, which people do, um, why don't we make their experience great? Because they can actually no longer work there and still be avid, loyal champions of the organization and customers. Hmm. Yeah. So how did, uh, you mentioned, obviously you came across Simon, the golden circle and I, and I'm a huge Simon fan. I, I enjoy a lot of his work and, and have for many years. I remember one of my mentors, Rob, he sent me the start with why video, the one you're talking about, the TED act the, or the TED talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this was probably 2014 ish, late 2014, early 2015. Anyways, um, and it and it is a TEDx. It's a poorly. Produced, oh, is it a TEDx? It's okay. a TEDx. It's, yeah. It's a TEDx. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I and I remember that. And I still actually, it's funny. I just I sent it out in my newsletter recently because uh, there's a lot of folks that still haven't seen it, you know. And it's something mm-hmm. I try to watch at least once or twice a year because it always kind of gets me back to to square one. But anyways, the, what I wanted to ask was, how did serendipity come into play here? How did the meeting take wow. place to to actually? get into the to his to his circle if you will yeah yeah well i mean a big so so taking a page from both malcolm gladwell's book and and the outliers and adam grant's work on give and take mm-hmm. so you know success is a recipe of um you need to have some talent you don't need to be the most talented just some um uh, that you can build upon you need to put in you know hard work this concept of 10,000 hours you do anything that you're good at for 10,000 hours you can become a master not an expert because expertise denotes there's nothing more to learn but master means that you know you're a master of your of your craft and then l-u-c-k like born at the right place at the right time like right. serendipity is a big thing um, and I love Adam Grant's work with give and take and your reciprocity style um, and that grant proves that you can be a giver and be successful. In fact, the most successful people are givers. Mm-hmm. Same with the least successful. The least successful are givers who set no, no boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, great work. And there's a great TED Talk by Adam Grant on, on give and take as well. Um, but yeah, there was a ton of right place, right time. Um, so, you know, I, a mentor shared Simon's talk uh, with me, that same TEDx talk that you're, you're referring, how great leaders inspire action. I remember I received it via email as a follow-up to a, to a meeting that I had with this mentor. And I, I did what every great um, pupil should do is I ignored that email for about two months. Uh, and then I finally <laughs> opened it and said, I should probably 
review this and I watched his TEDx talk and it, it, I kind of had that like puppy dog, hmm, like that's good. Um, and it was a mental model that helped me make more sense of the world and what motivated me and what didn't and what made leaders and organizations more successful and not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to this conference to hear Malcolm Gladwell speak. Simon spoke just before him. Um, I had a chance to ask Simon a question during Q&A. Um, and then I literally bumped into him in, in the hall uh, after the event. And there were some, you know, like 1,500 people at this event. So just bumped into him into the hall um, I wrote an article on his talk in a little millennial and workforce engagement blog that I was doing on LinkedIn at the time. Mm. Um, sent a note to Simon on LinkedIn while he was still on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I later managed that account uh, on the on the team. Um, and just right time, right place. I mean, I forged relationships with a couple of key people on his small team. And his CEO at the time, Kim, said to me, you're going to do this with us or without us, and we hope it's with us. Um, And I had simply found someone who um, uh, their ideas and their work wonderfully represented what I believed in as well. Um, And even better, they were way further down the path than I was. So could I have gone out on my own and said, you know, great to meet you, but I'm going to do this for, for me? Sure. Um, but I've been with Simon and continue to work with them because they do great work. They, they, the, the content is fantastic. Um, and I'm simply progressing the cause of a more inspired, safe and fulfilled world better with them than not. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and what's fun as well is I've come across some of sort of my own work that I'm like, Hey, you know, I think I have something here that again, will advance the cause of a more inspired, safe, and, and, and fulfilled world. So I, I'll devote my life and career to do anything uh, to help uh, help advance that. But absolutely serendipity. Um, but it's it's what you do when that serendipity shows up um, and to lean into it uh, and develop relationships if, if, if they are indeed right. Do you remember back, because obviously you had a lot of reasons, those values aligned with with why you wanted to work with, with him and with, with his organization. Mm -hmm. Do you remember why they chose you? What was the, (laughs) what did they, what did they see in you? That was like, Hey, this, this guy could really help us uh, enact that change. Um, so a couple of things. So I'm a really big believer, not just in aptitude, but attitude. Um, uh, and so, I mean, I, there are some things on the aptitude side, where I'm able to help design experiences and things in, in, you know, in line with Simon's values and, and, and vision. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know, I think they saw some potential in me there. Um, but I remember there was one meeting very early on in my tenure at the company where I totally showed up like an absolute idiot. Um, I mean, I was, I was showing up to prove and not to improve, particularly when Simon was in the room. Like I just, I wanted to be seen, um, uh, and perceived well. And I totally, all my insecurities showed. And like, I just had an awful experience showing up like a complete asshat. Um, and then I, I, I went back, I was staying at my best friend's place in New York and I came back late at night and my best friend was sleeping. And then I woke up early the next day. I didn't have time to debrief the experience with, with anyone. And I walked back into the 
office where we were having these meetings the next day and the people that we were meeting with, I, I walked into the room and I could just sense that they were talking about me. Like, have you ever walked into the room and then all yeah. of a sudden like something shifts and you're like, I think they were just talking about me. And I knew they were saying like, what happened with him yesterday? And so I had a one-on-one meeting with the CEO at the time who ended up becoming a great friend, um, one of the best leaders I've ever had. And I sat down with her and she was about to go into some feedback. And I said, before you start, can I just own up to some stuff that I know that I did wrong yesterday? And I just shared very vulnerably of like, I think I showed up like an idiot and here's how, and sort of, this is not who I want to be. And this is who I want to be. And sort of the like celebrity of this guy, like totally got in the way of me being a good contributor. And I'm going to work on that. And she was kind of like, damn it. Like, if you know all this, why did you do it? And I went, I didn't know it then. I now know it now. And so it was, you know, I guess the self-awareness and the willingness to own it um, really helped give me a shot there. And it's something that I have continued to strive to do, which is constantly search for what's my part in it and how can I own that part and keep improving. What did you do? Because I don't know if that was a one-off or if you had picked up that you had done those type of things in the past. Like, how how did you improve it? Or was it just a literally flick of the switch and you never acted as such again? How how did you improve that? It it wasn't a flick of the switch. I think it was, um, you know, I have... I have an Achilles heel of I like to be liked. And particularly when it's someone who I really respect and admire, I really want to be liked, Mm. but yet I I can't force someone to like me. It's like, you know, it's like forcing someone to be your friend. It just doesn't work. Um, And so, uh, you know, for, for me, just the experience of knowing that, you know, Simon puts his underwear on one leg at a time, just like the rest of us uh, and, and to humanize him and, and in his experience, has been uh, helpful and valuable. And we've since, you know, <laughs> created a great friendship over the the decade that I've known him. Um, and so it wasn't a flip the switch, but it was, you know, at least in that moment showing to the CEO at the time that, um, you know, I, I want to own up to this because at least to show her that I had some self-awareness. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a, so if, if, if you have a goal, and you keep it in your head, your likelihood of accomplishing it is about 10%. If you write it down, because now you're engaging your dopamine reward system, you write down your, your goals, everyone should write down their, their goals, 45%. Um, but if you then say it aloud to someone who can help hold you to, to account, it's north of 80 or 85%. Yeah. And so uh, I think sort of declaring and making a commitment to a, to a friend and to um, an, an ally was, was hugely helpful. That may be a good transition into <laughs> making a commitment to write this book because I want to get oh, into yeah. this. But I actually, and I don't. This may not. This may go to a dead end, but I, I'm not sure. But you had mentioned something early on in our conversation about stuttering as mm-hmm. a child. But you speak a lot in front of people and and uh, do all those type of things. Tell me the, how did you go from one to the other? Because it seems like if you had that, there might be some nervousness, there might be confidence issues. How did that all play out? 
So I come from a long line of stutterers. Um, I married a speech therapist, which is a very uh, good call, not just for me, but for my children. Uh, it's, a, it's a strategic Mary. Um, uh, and so, I mean, my, my stutter and that of my sort of dad and uncle and grandfather, um, uh, it was workable, but it definitely got in the way. Um, and I remember sort of, you know, I became very aware that I had the issue when I was in about grade two. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I went to a speech therapist and they actually gave me a clicker to count the number of times that I was stuttering in a day to hopefully create like a, a negative reverse correlation and like notice when I was doing it to slow down. But it you're counting the bad behavior and let alone I'm a kid in the schoolyard with a clicker and people are like, what are you doing? Um, so that didn't work. And then I, I, I had an awful moment in grade six where I couldn't say the word très in French class, which is like the third word you learn in French. Très bien, like it means very. Um, and it was the, probably one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. And I went home and I said to my mom that we need to get some help. Um, and I ended up going to um, a, a, a summer program that summer uh, with an amazing organization that's still around to this day called the Speech and Stuttering Institute. And I learned some tips and tricks um, and met a bunch of other stutterers, uh, of which I was 13 years old. There was one other person who was 14, and then everyone else was adult um, and working on it. And I sort of realized, wow, I'm really grateful that I'm starting early. Um, I don't have it as bad as some other people do, fortunately. Um, and I got to work on it, but even better, I got to help others work on theirs too, which was really sort of both fulfilling and helpful. Um, which is why the self-help industry shouldn't exist. It should always be the help others industry. Cause you know, seven tips to lose 10 pounds. How about seven tips to help a friend lose 10 pounds? And when you do it, you'll lose it too. Um, so I'm a staunch advocate in the help others industry. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I had this experience as a kid um, and young adult feeling quite tentative to raise his hand in class or speak up for fear of not being able to communicate, get stuck on a word, just embarrassment. Um, and the more I, I got some tools and tips, and then the more I just put myself in the experience to speak in front of people and even fail in front of people and no one really cared or noticed, just continued to build my abilities and my confidence. Um, and, you know, anyone who stutters never overcomes. They're always overcoming. I still do it. Um, but very few people can can tell that I stutter. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, but it certainly informed my passion, Brian, which is I love helping others communicate their ideas and feelings in a way that they can be understood um, and to nurture the voice of others, which is really a huge part of my work. And it's interesting, too, like some of the even some of these stories, I bet if we talk for 10 hours, you know, many more will come out of you've been in these situations where you could have just taken, you could have just, Hey, I'm going to learn for myself and move on that. You've kind of almost called the action yourself to help these other people. Um, and, and you shared several situations already. So again, it's kind of who you are. It's kind of your ethos of, of, you know, shed, if you will, and, and how you perform. So that's, I think that, and obviously is not surprised by the stuff you're doing today even now. Right. I mean, yeah. It kind of aligns. So. Yeah, I mean, but the thing that's wonderful is it's human. Yeah. Like we are, 
no human being, I mean, anyone who ever says that they either accept a description that they're self-made or describe themselves as self-made run and run far, far away. Cause none of us are, um, we are a social animal. We depend upon the help of, of another. We cannot be objective with ourselves. We only have our set of strengths, which is like, we're not good at everything. We need each other. Mm. Um, and then even better when we help another, it feels good. Um, uh, and biologically, it feels good. Oxytocin is released, which makes us healthier. So, um, and literally makes us feel warm and fuzzy and good about ourselves. And it's contagious for all the right reasons. So it's in our wiring to help each other out. All right. So when did this idea for this book come into your mind? When, when were you decided to, now it's going to launch tentatively next year, 2023, right? Yes. Yeah. Tentative fall 23. Okay. Yeah. So maybe let's take tentative out of it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. (laughs) Etched in stone. What, uh, when did the idea come into your head that, Hey, I want to, I want to actually write a book. So I, I started saying yes. So, so I have a friend, Sasha Strauss, who, um, I sat in on one of his workshops and participated in it. And he asked the questions, how did you define yourself pre pandemic? How are you defining yourself during this pandemic, which still goes on? And then how will you define yourself coming out of it? Um, I realized that I define myself far too much by my airline status pre, <laughs> pre-pandemic. I followed that gamified system a little bit too close. Um, but when you're on the road a lot, you know, getting that upgrade into business class means a lot. Um, uh, I define myself during the pandemic by these things, which are my blue light glasses, because Zoom has been my natural habitat during this thing. And coming out of the pandemic, I really wanted to define myself by freedom and choice. Uh, I want to be really mindful of what I say yes to and what I say no to. And so um, through my work with Simon, I get these amazing, you know, build these amazing friendships with, with some people that I would get to work with um, clients or in our, our public uh, classroom. And more and more, they would ask me to do stuff, to come speak at their company or do this or or do that, but they didn't necessarily have the budget or sometimes didn't want Simon's content. And so I would would be in this situation where I had a mindful opportunity to say yes or no. And I just started saying yes more to people saying, we want you to come and share your ideas, which is flattering and wonderful. So it sort of gave me an opportunity to you know, I can't just go and rip off Simon's stuff and pretend that it's mine. That's not cool. Um, and I can't go share their stuff without the the approval of the organization as well. And so I was in this, or, this sort of pressure cooker to figure out, well, what could I talk about? And I became, um, I've always been, if you think about stutter and just my experiences through career, um, you know, I've, I've often spoken up, sometimes to my detriment, Um, but oftentimes to my reward, where so long as I was sourcing myself from a good place and trying to do what I thought was best for the organization, you know, leaders would reward me for leaning in and speaking up. Um, I've also had experiences in my career and have witnessed it with others as well, where they do what they feel is right, not just for themselves, but for the benefit of the team and the organization, and they're either ignored or punished. And I became very interested in what I call a speak-up culture. Um, so it was very much born from, I mean, saying yes, and then necessity is the mother of, of, of invention. Um, you know, there was one keynote that I was going to give in, in October, and I got the email in sort of June or July being like, okay, what's your topic? And I went, oh, what is my topic? 
And it just kind of came to me of, um, at first I started calling it listen down of, you know, we've all heard somebody in charge say, listen up. Um, but it felt a little bit patronizing to say, listen down as in to talk down. And so uh, I've just been, you know, learning more and more about a speak up culture and the ingredients of a speak up culture. And that's become, that's become the, the, the concept and the, and the book uh, of when leaders truly listen, people step up. Uh, and when leaders do not listen, uh, they, they quickly become part of a culture of silence, which is dangerous. So how did the, or how has, I guess, we're in the thick of it, the book writing process gone? Like, how did you decide, hey, this is how I'm going to structure it. This is how I'm going to write it. All that fun stuff. What, what can you share so far? A lot of help. So anyone who thinks that um, because your name is on the cover of the book means that you did all of it, they would be mistakenly wrong. Um, so a mentor of mine introduced me to their publisher, uh, Page Two Books. They do amazing work out of Vancouver, Canada. Um, I met with uh, one of the co-founders, Jesse Finkelstein, and sort of saying, hey, like, you know, I'm toying around with, with this idea. At first, I pitched it to them as listen down. Um, and just this notion of, you know, everyone knows that listening is, a, is an important ingredient of being a good leader, but how many leaders do we know actually do it and do it well and do it for the right reasons? Because listening is a skill and you can listen to manipulate or you can listen to have compassion and to make progress. So um, while listening is a skill, it can be learned and taught, compassion and curiosity are attributes that we have to uh, want to choose to, to develop. Um, I mean, you and I could sit in a classroom on and learn, you know, for two hours on listening and learn active listening and learn, you know, tips and tricks to become better listeners. I can't teach you compassion that you have to want to, you have to want to become more compassionate as an example. And so, um, you know, I, I had this desire to, you know, create some of my own ideas and, 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 and IP and not just do someone else's, um, and a publisher took to it. Uh, and then fortunately they matched me up with an amazing developmental editor and we took a few ideas um, and really let them bake and steep. And we have an outline now finished that has 13 chapters and I'm like, Hey, this is actually decent. Um, and in it, you know, we're going to describe how things can go terribly wrong because there's not a curious culture of genuine listening. Um, and then how can we create better leaders, better supported leaders, um, and cultures that actually nurture the voice of others? Because um, the more senior you get, your whisper becomes a shout, um, and you're typically further away from the truth. Uh, and people more junior can see what's actually going on. So we need to create this system where we can actually hear, hear the voice uh, of others because we just have a better, more informed organization at that point. Um, so yeah, working with a developmental editor has been hugely helpful uh, to organize and structure and just get guidance because I don't work great alone. Um, and then now I'm working with a great um, uh, researcher and writing partner uh, as well. And how does that process go? Is that like hey, write X amount per day? Or is it, you know, go huddle away in a cabin somewhere and, and pump it out? How does that all work? Yeah, I mean, as much as I'd love to go to a cabin, I'm not sure that's going to work with me because I, ha I have a six and three-year-old at home. I mean, the, 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 um, the outline, uh, I think the outlining process is going to be very different than the writing process. Um, so the outline 
process. I mean, we were following sort of a step-by-step. So that was great. And I'd write some stuff and then we'd meet and I'd describe something out loud and then they'd take a stab at it and I'd edit it. So it was was very iterative. Um, As we get into the writing, I'm not yet sure. (laughs) So if you want to have another conversation in about eight to 12 months and I can let you know, Um, but you know, my productivity style and my productivity tendency, um, if, if you or anyone out there is familiar with Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies, um, I have them here. It's obliger, questioner, upholder, and rebel. So obliger is you can count on me and I'm counting on you to count on me. Questioner is I'll comply if you convince me why, like I'm going to question, but once I know why I'll do it, um, upholder discipline is my freedom. And then rebel, which is the one I am, you can't make me do it and neither can I, which is I'm not very disciplined. I mean, I, I have a bit of discipline, yeah. but, you know, I'll, I'll put in my calendar, you know, three hour block for writing and I just laugh at it. Like, it's just not going to happen. Um, so I, I'm not good at predicting my productivity. It kind of happens when it happens. Um, which sometimes is at night or sometimes I'll, I just have an idea. Um, so it's more, you know, bottling fire for me personally. So I, I'm not yet sure, um, uh, but I'm fortunate to be writing with someone who's a very experienced writer and we're, we're going to work together to figure out what method is going to work. Well, I think that's part of the process too. It's like, you got to know who you are. And because I, I kind of the same way. I mean, I, I'm in the process of writing a more of a full length book. I've, I've written, you know, my second children's book comes out here in February, but the, um, I write a lot of blogs and like, to your point, I may get inspiration in the morning and I'll write one, you know, I might write four or five blogs one day. Other yeah. days it's like, I just don't feel it. So I just don't do, you know, it's not like, okay, I'm going to sit down at 9am and I'm going to write. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm kind of in your camp of like, yeah, you know, you, you can schedule it, but at some point if, if, you know, you could force it out, I guess. Um, and I've tried to do that, but you know, yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it good or not? Who knows? I guess, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, there's, there's no one way for everyone. Um, right. you know, some people, they wake up in the morning and the first thing they do is write for 90 minutes. Good for you. Like that's just not going to work for me right now based on my life circumstances and everything, you know, but I've also, you know, I've committed personally to sharing and speaking and writing about the stuff as I'm learning it. And so what's good is I've, I have a ton of social media posts where I've written about the stuff as I'm going. And so as I've done the outline, I'm actually linking, there's a number of links to stuff that I've already written that I can pull in um, so that we're starting from a draft of something as opposed to nothing or just a little idea. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah, I'll have to have you back on maybe, uh, when you guys are nearing launch or something, maybe next year or something, that'd be fun. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'd love to, to <laughs> learn about what, yeah, what happened in a year? How did the process go? What were the, uh, the hurdles? Um, but let's there will be this. hurdles, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, but again, that's part of the process and, and you'll learn when you, you know, when you write book number two, you'll learn all the, <laughs> the things from this one. Um, so someone getting started today, that's, they don't know what they don't know where to go. They're they have an idea, maybe they're they're struggling to even have the courage as you did. Um, any insight, advice, quote you live by? I mean, anything that you would share to be helpful for them? Maybe it's two. I don't know. Um, yeah, to kind of get them kicking the butt to get forward and, and get started. So, I mean, find something more important than the fear. 
you know, find something that on the other side, there's, it connects to your purpose. It like, it matters. Um, I'm reading a book right now. Uh, my friend, Michael Bungay Stanier, uh, he's the author of The Coaching Habit. He just came out with a new book that I think you'd love, and maybe your listeners would too, called How to Begin. So it's very much in the in the vein of uh, of, of of just get started. And oh. he he has a process. Um, I'm actually I'm doing a LinkedIn Live with him this week, and he's going to coach me through it live. So this will be fun. Oh. But he he calls it setting a worthy goal. Um, and the way he defines a worthy goal is it must be all three of thrilling, daunting, and important. So thrilling means that it puts you into flow. Um, uh, it, it, it excites you. It's an activity you enjoy. Daunting means um, the other. So flow is comprised of two pieces. Skill, you're good at it. And challenge, you're also challenged by it, which means that there's active engagement. And you're likely to go into flow, which is when time stands still because you're doing something you just love doing. Mm. Um, so thrilling, you enjoy it. Daunting, it's going to stretch and grow you. Um, and then important, which is it's connected to your why. Um, you you know that the accomplishing the the worthy goal or setting on this quest or path, um, there's something that is more important than your own life, more important than bigger than just you. So it's connected to your why as well. So, um, you know, and it's, and it's even go through this, this notion of, you know, if you, if you don't do it, are you okay with that? Like, is it worth settling? Um, you know, is what's on the other side, like it has to be important enough that you're willing to go through uncertainty and challenge and stress, uh, that on the other side, there's something worthwhile that, you know, you'll, you'll be proud of. Um, not just for you personally, but for what it does for others. Yeah, that's a that's great insight. And the, the one thing I'll even add on that, if I could, is and and I guess going through my journey and some of the different stuff of having the fear. And you know, like I wanted to start this podcast in 2015. It took me two years to start it. It took you know, until mm-hmm. 2017 for a variety of reasons. But I think it's you don't have to like you don't have to create the greatest thing tomorrow. It's literally that, you know, idea of step out the front door instead of run the marathon. Like it is just get started, even if it's the sliver. Like if you want to start, hey, I want to start writing. Well, you might not write a book tomorrow, but why don't you write one short LinkedIn post and then grow that to a blog and then grow that, you know, like there's different ways you can do it. Um, I think sometimes, at least a lot of the folks I talk with, because I share the same fear I did was you have to do everything at once. And when you realize that's not the case, yeah, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. As cliche as that sounds, that's how it's done. I mean, yeah. you, and even with your work, or even obviously with Simon or others, it's like the consistency over time is how you live that purpose and, and how you ultimately grow. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I I, I also have a goal of starting um, a podcast, but I didn't have the time or the space to figure it out and start, and so I I started doing LinkedIn Lives. Yeah. Um, and they're all recorded. So if I wanted to, I could take those and make a podcast later, but I just committed to the, I want to speak with amazing leaders and thought leaders that I admire, um, in absence of having a podcast ready to go, I'll just do this LinkedIn live thing. Um, and maybe I'll turn it into a podcast later, maybe not, but at least it's practice such that when I do a podcast, I'll have more practice of interviewing people. Um, so I found a fun way to just do it anyway, even if it isn't, you know, a traditional podcast yet. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Shad, this has been fun. Where can everyone check you out? They want to say hello. What's the best spots to uh, find you? Yeah. Um, uh, Twitter and Instagram, I'm Shed Inspires. I'm most active on LinkedIn. For the time being, I'm the only Stephen Shedletsky in the world. So all you many Shedletskys, please uh, uh, save off from naming your kin Stephen for a little bit. Um, And I will have, hopefully by the time this comes out, a new website, shedinspires.com. Awesome. Well, again, Chad, thanks so much for coming on. This was an absolute pleasure and uh, glad to connect with you. Yeah, I look forward to the next time because hopefully I'll have a book done or nearly done at that point. That'll that'll be a joy. Thanks, we'll definitely do it, man. Thank you. Hey, everyone, just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, If you go to my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week. And that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.